We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie. And I'm Sarah. And this week the topic is so hotly anticipated between literally just the two of us. I don't know if anyone (laughs) else cares but this one is a big one. I'm just going straight in because I'm too excited. We did tell everyone what it was at the end of the last episode. We did but we should probably remind them. Would you like to do the honours Sarah? Yes. So this month's theme is an Agatha Christie novel, but not one that features Poirot or Marple. Oh, yes. That is, uh, obviously there are, you know, for most Agatha Christie fans listening, there are a lot of books that you could choose, arguably. But for a Poirot-centric such as myself and mm-hmm. you to a degree, mm-hmm. um, it's tough. And like, I love I love the odd Marps here and there. I'll, I'll dig into a Marple, sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's good to go a bit off piste, and I have to say, good to make the most of my vast collection of Agatha Christie books, of, of which I've not read them all. Turns out, so this was a fun one. Yeah, I should have come and browsed your bookshelf. Actually, you should have. I would have averted my gaze to <laughs> keep the surprise intact. But uh, I think this is the theme. Theme is that the word for it? I sure. think this is the one that I've most looked forward to. Actually, yeah, because. We were just saying before we started recording, like, it would be fun in a way if we've picked the same one, mm. but then it's good to talk about different... Oh, it's just it's just too exciting. I'm sure everyone is on the edge of their seat listening to this right now to see <laughs> what, what we've picked. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. Hanging off our every word. So, Sarah, you're going to go first this week. I I'm am. I'm to hear what you've picked. So, obviously, you can say if this turns out to be the same one that yes. you've picked. Okay. Um, little drum roll. <laughs> Thank you. I chose Sparkling Cyanide. We didn't pick the same one! <laughs> that was probably for the best. Yeah, you see, I, I, I tried to go for not a too big name one, so that interesting. Mm. Sparkling Cyanide is a great book. Oh my yeah, God. so I hadn't read it before. I actually don't think I've ever read an Agatha Christie that wasn't a Poirot or a Marple. Interesting. I've a lot of those now because you got me into them obviously and we yes. went to see witness for the prosecution obviously. yes we did that was so fun yeah. in, in an actual courtroom that was amazing yes, yes. But oh, that that's really good wow yeah like yeah it was and that's probably my only experience like with a non-poirot or marple book um and i have to say going in i knew it'd be good obviously agatha sure. christie was an amazing writer um right. but i was a little bit apprehensive because um, I wasn't sure how much of her amazing novels mm-hmm. were kind of tied back to the fact that she has these great characters in Poirot and Marple. Yes. And I was very pleasantly surprised. I absolutely loved it. Yay! I have to admit that I'm, I'm actually glad you've picked this because I've definitely read it and I've seen the adaptations of it, I think, a long time ago. So I'm I'm kind of rusty on the details. So I would love to hear your your take on it and your your thoughts okay well so i guess for people who haven't read it um sparkling cyanide well interestingly i didn't realize till afterwards that it was kind of an expanded version of a poirot short story initially i did not know that yes it was a short story called yellow iris which she wrote. oh i know that yes okay yeah it's one of the tv episodes is based yes on it. Yeah, yeah, um yeah. i think that quite a few bits were changed um sure. 
And obviously when she turned into a full-length novel, she removed Poirot, she put Colonel Race in instead, who I really like, actually. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so... And can I also just say, before you start, the only person that's allowed to change Agatha Christie's story, in my opinion, is Agatha Christie. You yes. hope you're listening to that, Kenneth Branagh, you piece of shit. Right. <laughs> Frankie hasn't even seen Death on the Nile, the Kenneth Branagh version, but I was so incensed by some of the changes they made that I texted her straight afterwards, and I think I awoke a beast. To I be think honest. I nearly burst a blood vessel in my eye. Uh, so violent was my reaction to what the abomination that yeah. is. The arrogance of Kenneth Branagh, <laughs> dear God. I just can't believe that they gave the moustache such a backstory. Oh, and it's I'm pissed. a shame because if you can, and this is a big, if you can switch off from no. Branagh's portrayal of Poirot. No. Um, which I know you can't, frankly, no. and I'm willing to. <laughs> they're actually, this, you know, Death on the Nile and his version of um, Orient Express were really good adaptations for the casual viewer, but yeah. I wish you could see my face right now. I know. Okay, so sparkling cyanide. Sorry, yeah, I just wanted to, because I know that Kenneth Brown is probably listening. I just wanted to get that dig in there before you started. So Probably having a cry now. Good. Um, So the summary from Agatha Christie's website, a beautiful heiress is fatally poisoned in a West End restaurant. (gasps) Six people sit down to dinner at a table laid for seven. In front of the uh, the empty place is a sprig of rosemary in solemn memory of Rosemary Barton, who died at the same table exactly one year previously. I remember that. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's coming back to me. This is great. Sorry, carry on. No one present on that fateful night would ever forget the woman's face contorted beyond recognition or what they remembered about her astonishing life. Oh. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, where do you begin? It's an Agatha Christie. It was brilliant, obviously. I kind of love the era that they're all set in. Yes. They're so immersive, I think, and quite comforting. There's a reason that that whole genre is called cosy crime, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why it's so, like, comforting. Um but it is. Yeah. Uh, so the characters were really, really good. And that's the skill that Agatha Christie mm. had, right? She created these incredible characters. And I always have a little bit, every time I read an Agatha Christie novel, there's always a little bit of me because I'm like, there's always a character that I decide I really like. Yeah. And then I spend the whole time on Tenterhooks waiting to find out I've completely misread them and they're an awful person. And if they're the killer the whole time. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I was pleasantly, again, not pleasantly, but I, it worked out in my favour this time. The two characters I really liked turned out to be good people all as well. Oh, well done. Good judge of character. I know. And I did think about two thirds of the way through that one of them was actually the killer. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That's the solution. Um, and obviously I was wildly wrong. I've never worked out an Agatha Christie um, killer before the end of the book. And I yeah. certainly didn't start this time. But no, it was, yeah, it was fantastic. I don't really want to spoil anything. I was just thinking this. I was thinking, do we spoil books that are very old at this point and like well-known stories or do we try and encourage people to read them themselves? Oh, it's really tough. I think you're right. I think we don't want to spoil it, but maybe if we could talk in like high level terms. So for example, one, one thing I always find about interesting about Agatha Christie is who's narrating the story can tell a lot about it or give away a lot or not give away a lot and i remind me who narrates who is the voice of the story in sparkling cyanide i think it's pretty much a third person narrator i don't think there is um you've got me doubting myself now but i'm pretty (laughs) sure that the perspective switch depending on who it's yes it does because the first few uh, chapters are named after different characters 
Ah, you see, because often she does one person throughout the whole story, doesn't she? Like, yes. she, in, particularly in Poirot's and Marple's, she will pick yeah. one person. So that's Actually, interesting. That, yeah, because, the, like I said, the first few chapters, or probably the first six, to be honest, I think they're named after different people who were at dinner that night. And it kind of shows you, um, basically it sets them all up so they could have done it. And it shows you oh. why. So the first character it got to that point with, I read it and I was like, hang on, we're only about, I was reading it on my Kindle, so I was in percentages. I was like, we're only about 7% into the book. Yeah. They can't be saying that this is the murder already, so what's going on? Because um, that was kind of how it sounded. So yes. yeah, that was really interesting because you kind of got the um, the inside scoop, I suppose, from all different perspectives. Although I have to say it was a vaguely unreliable narrator in that sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as in you you thought you saw a whole scene from one of the characters' perspectives, the secretary, and then it turns out later that actually that wasn't really how it happened at all. Oh. Yeah, not quite on kind of Roger Ackroyd. Right, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, level, but yes, what Agatha was very good at as well, um, keeping mysteries going, I suppose. Oh, she's, I mean, the genius of her is just endlessly impressive i don't know how her brain my god yeah i can't imagine how you can come up with uh, not even the stories that she came up with the sheer plot ideas yes yeah i couldn't have come up with that let alone then turned it into a an amazing novel no no incredible and the more you're talking about it i'm remembering the yellow iris and i'm i'm remembering the adaptation the tv adaptation with the only poirot in my opinion (laughs) david suchet um and it's like that i i know what you mean about the setting because it's incredibly glamorous isn't it it's that's a very fancy restaurant and there's a singer and I remember it all really clearly now. I mean, I, yeah. the, the, I don't know if it had, I can't remember if it had like the actual talk about the music in, she does often put a bit of music in her books. She'll write like lyrics and things out. So I, remember I think in the novel, it was, um, there was a performance at the restaurant. I don't think yes. it was purely singing. It was sort of dancing and stuff as well. Okay. Interesting. Um, see, I mean, I really want to watch that. I'm a little bit annoyed because I saw that it was adapted in 2003, but put into a modern setting. Um, oh. as a film which I've got no interest in watching no god no uh, I think there was a slightly older adaptation as well um, although that might have also been set in the modern day I think the the tv series of Yellow Iris in particular mm. is set at the right time of course okay. I will watch that I mean you can't go wrong with David Suchet can you no you can't <laughs> Kenneth Branagh learn from the master you arrogant little prick yeah it's fair thank you I half read this on my Kindle and I half listened to the audiobook version because oh, I yeah. have a massive soft spot for all of the Agatha Christie novels yes. on Audible because they are all narrated by uh, Hugh Fraser. Oh, Hastings does, himself. Hastings himself. And he is the perfect narrator for them. So I've probably got, I don't know, about 30 Agatha Christie audiobooks through Amazing. Audible over the years. Um and yeah, they are absolutely glorious. I cannot recommend them enough. He is, he is, his voice is just perfect, isn't it? Yeah. Like, and he can, he can, he does Poirot well, surprisingly well. He does. And I've listened to a couple of audiobook versions where they have, um, oh, who's the other part? The Poirot who did a lot of the radio plays. There are some that, ha- I think these are actually the, I don't know if you know you can get the BBC radio yes. um, last recordings. And Poirot in those is played by John Moffat, who is also really, really good. But actually, Hugh Fraser nails his Poirot in the yeah. audio bit. 
So he knows I, his, he knows his shit. Yeah, I recommend. I highly recommend. And I was very pleasantly surprised to discover that he did sparkling cyanide because I wasn't yes. sure if he would since it wasn't a Poirot. Yeah, he's just part of the the the, the lexicon of the Christie estate now. Yeah, I mean, he's even narrated some of the Marple audiobooks. Oh, I'd love to hear him do a Marple, actually, do his old lady voice. Um, I mean, I've listened to a couple. I'm sure he nailed it because I think I'd remember if he hadn't. <laughs> I've only listened to, I've listened to a couple of Marple audiobooks, but they've always been read by women. Joan Hickson does a lot of them. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is she the one? Um, forgive my ignorance on the subject, but I remember listening to one and I, think, I remember thinking she's got the poshest voice I've ever heard. Probably. I remember she said the word happy, but she said it happy. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I've, that's how you're meant to say that. Fuck. Like, I am not posh in any way then. I'm scum. Another world that we don't live in. To go back to your earlier point about the other world, like it's uh, particularly in that story. Um, and this is where I think actually Agatha Christie writes so beautifully about the upper and lower classes and the kind yeah. of the glamour of the era, particularly in, in Sparkling Cyanide, because it's the heiress. So it's people with money and you know, in a beautiful setting. And she just really captures that that kind of glamorous era so beautifully. Oh, absolutely. The one, th- the one warning I would give if people are going to read it, is that there are some horrendously racist phrases in there. Uh, yeah. Obviously, as a product of the time, not that that makes it okay, but no. um, yeah, just a heads up on that. That's a really good point because a lot of her books, particularly if you pick up a vintage copy, of which mm. I have many of one of her books, uh, there's going to be some racist shit in there. Yeah. Um, and I don't personally believe that she was racist in any way mm-hmm. um because we know that she was incredibly well traveled um yeah. you know she she was and very much the whole one of the whole things about Poirot which is so beautiful is it's constantly him fighting prejudice yes for being from another land and yeah. explaining you know and being treated differently because he's a foreigner so I don't think she she meant it in a in a uh what's the word like a vicious way in any way in a fairly a lot of the instances are clearly common phrases of the time yes yeah it's still shocking to see and read um as it should be because it is awful but yeah she um yeah and you know certain book titles have changed over the years because they were very racist yes and then there were none (laughs) yes and then there is a prime one and arguably a way better title and then there were none than the you know regardless of the horrendous word that's in that title like they've actually vastly improved it so that's good yeah but yeah that is a really good shout and something to bear in mind um and yeah the unfortunately i think if she was around today she would probably not be like that no she's cool she's no jk rowling (laughs) no she's not (sighs) i got to um explain to my boss the other day about what was so awful about jk rowling (laughs) oh fun that's always fun yeah um and why you still love her regardless yes and why i agree (laughs) with all of her views (laughs) and why you're going to the next rally that that she's attending i have to i feel like i have to like disclaim every time we make a joke about this that i 100 percent do not agree with jk rowling's views no no i know and we i love to tease you about it but yeah no we I hope the people listening know that and I can always cut it out if we uh, decide I can't be bothered to go into that discussion again. It's fine. Disclaimer. That's Disclaimer. All. She's a good person, <laughs> promise. Okay, so what would you give it out of Tombstones? I genuinely don't think I've given any Agatha Christie book less than a five out of five. And it's the same with this one. They're just perfect for what they are. Brilliant. Love it. Yeah. Oh, 
I've never finished an Agatha Christie and felt disappointed. No, no. There's always something. Oh, yeah. She's just she's just a genius. Yeah, it really was. Oh, great. Well, that's a, that's that's made me want to like again watch Yellow Iris again and maybe dig out my copy and have a little read again. Yeah, I am definitely going to watch Yellow Iris. Yes, let me know what you think, please. I will. Wonderful. So I'm so excited to hear what one you chose because I think I read about all of her non Poirot Marple books when I was trying to work out which one to pick. So <laughs> Oh well, I chose one. As I say, I I browsed my vast shelf of vintage Poirot and no, sorry, not Poirot, Agatha Christie's because um, as, as we talked about before, I literally just buy them whenever I see a vintage copy anywhere. I will just buy them. So I've got multiple copies of some of the same books. I love the covers. The artwork um, by Tom Adams is just incredible. Um, so I went along and I picked up a title and yeah, this one just calls to me. So I read Endless Night. Oh, yep. Definitely Did you ever flick through that one? That one? Yeah, I nice. did. It sounded quite creepy, I think. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. So I'll read the synopsis that's in the front of this book. Uh, the, the edition that I'm holding in my hands, a physical copy, uh, was published in 1970. So this is uh, one of her later books. Um, so something to bear in mind there as well. Um, but in, so I'll read you the synopsis of the front. <clears throat> the site of the house called the Towers had once been known as Gypsy's Acre. When it was sold, Michael Rogers went to the auction, though he hadn't any money. His dream of a new house on the old site to be built by his brilliant young architect friend. It was a Gypsy's Acre that Michael first saw the girl he was to marry. The account of Michael's courting of Ellie, their growing attraction for each other, is the starting point of the drama that begins and ends at Gypsy's Acre. The story ends in the revelation of a monstrous crime, complete with all the paraphernalia that had been required to affect it. In this doom-laden story, different in kind from the experiences of Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple, all the author's great gifts of subtlety and interpretation are on full display. Here is something new and different, something quite extraordinarily exciting. Oh, that's funny because I was literally... As you started reading, I was like, this sounds like a romance novel. And then you got to Monstrous Crime. Yay, there it is. That's what we're here for, isn't it? The Monstrous Crime. Yeah. Um, yeah and that was obviously, I, so when I was looking for it, and I picked that one up, read that synopsis. And the fact that they literally called it out for being different to, mm. per, to Poirot and Marple, I was like, well, this is the perfect choice. Um, and yeah, so it is, again, Talking about racism and all that, they're quite anti-gypsy in the book. I, yeah, I was going to ask <laughs> that question. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not horrendous. I mean, it's it's quite anti. I mean, it. I would say I wouldn't say that Agatha Christie was anti-traveller. I would say that it echoes a lot of the ill will towards travellers that has existed mm. because there is a traveller character in it, a gypsy. I'm using that language because I know it's outdated, but she is. They use it in the book. Mm -hmm. um, a traveller lady who you know tells fortunes and stuff which is a bit of, <laughs> of yeah, course yeah. yeah um but yeah so i just want to get that part out the way um and as you said it is a creepier book and when i was like doing a bit of research just around it it seems that a lot of people kind of felt it was agatha christie experimenting with a bit of a gothic story Ooh, interesting which was yeah definitely very different for her and I mean, again, I don't want to spoil too much, but um, the character of Michael Rogers is an interesting one. So he is also the first, he's the narrator of the book as well. So it's all told from his perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there's always risks with that in an Agatha Christie because you don't know which way it's going to go, um, as we said. 
but it um he is a poor character and he has aspirations of wealth and as i say he finds this he comes across this the towers this this house and he instantly is intrigued by the land um but instantly warned off by all the locals that it's cursed it's gypsy's acre anyone who lives there terrible things happen to them don't even think about it kind of thing um the the kind of local chatter you normally get in a small town small village um Mm. but he is undeterred um and then I'm not spoiling too much by saying then, yeah, he goes back um, and sees this woman called this, the girl he ends up marrying. Her name's, he, well, her name's Fenella, but he, she goes by Ellie mm-hmm. um, and it's a bit of a whirlwind romance. They kind of, they fall in love. Um, she is, you know, he teases her a lot because he can tell she's like a poor little rich girl. Um, she's also American um, and mm-hmm. he is British and all that. They basically, they start, they, they they kind of fall for each other quite quickly, but she travels a lot. She goes away, she comes back, da, da, da. And on the day he goes to the auction just to see what happens and then finds out it's sold and he's a bit gutted about that. But then it's later revealed that she is actually not just a poor little rich girl. She's really rich. She's mm-hmm. one of the richest women in America because her family is very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she bought the house she did. She bought the land. She bought the towers. And she wants lots with. Yeah. So she's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it because I bought it and I want us to live in it um, together. And then they get married. And then it starts to take a bit of a creepy old turn. I'm talking, they, they basically, he has this, as they mentioned in the synopsis, he has an architect friend called Sanatonics. How's oh. that for a name? Wow. Santonics, sorry. I'm going to say it wrong. His name is Rudolf Santonics. Um, foreign i assume well he is yeah he is yeah. foreign um but yeah quite a name and um, he's a very talented architect and he basically commissions him they they then obviously he's got immense wealth on his side now and they, they build he builds a beautiful house on this cursed land uh and yeah things start to go downhill very quickly uh bricks thrown through windows saying you should leave um and all this kind of foreshadowing foreboding the gypsy lady that we mentioned before is is being creepy and like saying things to her to ellie and they don't know what she kind of is a bit of a a bit of a kind of specter character i suppose kind of hanging over them Mm. um but they they want to live in this house and persevere with it and then yeah i don't want to spoil too much so is there any supernatural actual supernatural elements or you know is everything explained Everything is explained. Okay, good. Is the way of saying it without spoiling too much. Fine. Yeah. I I don't like, I've got absolutely no interest in any of that that kind of business. Yes. Well, neither did Agatha Christie, I don't think. Perfect. That's what I needed to hear. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a device that she uses quite a lot, isn't it? Where yes. she pretends that, or she'll say that, oh, it's a ghost, or they think they've seen a ghost or a spirit yeah. or... And then it's never turns out to be a supernatural explanation because yeah, it's always people at the heart of crime. Yes, and that's what she you know was was brutally aware of. I think yeah, but she does. She can do a creepy tale when she wants to. She can make it creepy and interesting. And that was a nice side of her to see. I think she's having a bit of fun with that. Oh, interesting, but still, as I say, without spoiling it, as you say, it's resolved. And it's a human resolution, not a gypsy curse resolution. Perfect. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, I mean, also, I think that's the other thing as well, particularly in these small towns and small villages where she often sets a lot of her 
stories, that kind of folklore and that kind of the gossip is such a huge part of people's perceptions of things. And she's obviously really right to call that up in this scenario and say that, you know, I think everyone had a house in their town or something where there was like, oh, that's where a witch lives or whatever, which is obviously... It's not a witch living there. It's a load of rubbish, but it's just that's the way these towns operate. And it's it's fun to see that kind of as a device in a crime story where they she tries to paint it as that way. But actually, the reality of it is just terrible humans doing terrible things at the mm-hmm. core. But yeah, she uh, she's I, w- I would love to have hung out with Agatha Christie, man. I bet she was so much fun. She'd be an amazing person to have on your like dinner party list. Oh, she 100%. Her and Suchet together. Mm. I don't need anyone else at the party. I just sit and watch them creepily. Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I really enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't what I expected, but in a good way. Again, mm-hmm. when I first started it, I was a little bit like, hmm, because it was a lot about him basically really painting out that he didn't have any money or prospects. He, uh, Michael Rogers uh, is a bit of a... I guess you'd call him a bit of a lad in modern terms. <laughs> he uh, he basically couldn't really hold down a job for very long. He didn't like working. He wasn't very good at it. Um, mm-hmm. He So he had a lot of jobs in a very short space of time. He also talks a lot about how he could pretty, he was a good looking guy. He could easily get women and have fun with these mm-hmm. women, but he wasn't settling down um, and he didn't really want to, but he wanted the house. He wanted money. He wanted that kind of thing. So there was a lot of that kind of establishing of him being like, oh, that paint, I really like this picture. Shall I buy this picture? Oh, no, wait, it's 25 grand. I can't afford it. Um, so a little bit, I was like, what, where is this going? But I understand <laughs> now that she was just establishing the fact that he had aspirations of wealth, but was coming from nothing. Yeah. But then, yeah, then it got it gets creepy and interesting and quite unsettling in a lot of ways very quickly. So <sighs> long story short, she's a genius. Um, but that being said... I'm not giving it five. <gasps> really? Why not? Oh, I don't know. It's just there was something. I just, I, do you know what? I think maybe I'm just spoiled by Poirot and Marple. I don't know. Yeah, I can understand that. And this sounds like it was very different. It was. Um, I did actually just Google it to discover that Agatha Christie once said it was her favourite of her novels. Interesting. because I th- And you could tell she's having fun with it. I mm. definitely felt that. Um, and like the reveal of the the monstrous crime as they call it in the synopsis was 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 fun and you could tell that she wrote it with relish in a lot of ways mm. but i did really enjoy it i did really enjoy it um so, and i would a four okay and actually one other interesting thing i found through my research again i tried to find see if there were any adaptations of it and i think there was one in like the 70s that i couldn't track down to watch anywhere which is a shame but then i also saw that apparently there was an adaptation of it as a marple Oh, interesting. So I, I, again, couldn't track it down though. So I might have to do a bit more research. I'd, I'm really curious to see how they worked her into that. I don't know about the Marples, but they definitely had all the Poirots on Britbox. So it might be worth checking on there. Okay, good tip. We'll have to look into that one. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I, I do really recommend it. I just, if you're after a bit of a murder mystery, but with a creepier gothic feel, then it's a great shout. You can't, you can't go wrong with any Agatha Christie book. You're not going to get any lower than a four or a five because she's a genius. It's really, really impressive that actually that statement is entirely true. There's just no 
bad Agatha Christie books. No. I'm always amazed when I've seen some people rate some of her books lower and say, oh, not one of her best or whatever. But I think it's just because maybe the bar is so high within her canon of work. Yeah, they're comparing it to her other novels, not all the books out there. Yeah, absolutely. Like she's uh, she's just made a rod for her own back by being too much of a genius, I guess. I know the feeling, Agatha. <laughs> Very relatable in that respect to you. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So we've had a lot of fun with fiction and crime this month. But Sarah, what does next month hold for us as a theme? Well, next month we are going to do an Anne Rule book. Woo! So for those that don't know, Anne Rule is mostly famous because she wrote this incredible book book about Temba... Jesus Christ! (laughs) She wrote this incredible book about Ted Bundy called The Stranger Beside Me, um, and she actually knew him, and that's what it's based around. So we are going to pick any of her books other than that, because that's talked about quite a lot. And we've both read that book and talked about it at length in our personal lives. And that's the thing, Anne Rule, you know, even that was the book, arguably, that launched her career. But she is, I would say she's the undisputed true crime original like one of the greatest Mm. true crime writers of all time I think it's fair to say yes I would agree I've actually read quite a lot of her books Um, I have too they are all so good and that's the thing and and because they are so good I always hold any true crime book that I read to her as a kind of the the benchmark of great true crime writing because she's she's not just she has such a sensitive approach to it but still captures the essence of the crimes and the the evil characters that she's you know discussing yes even with ted bundy like i mean if you if anyone listening hasn't read the stranger beside me do it because it's incredible 100 percent um and then we also have another very special interview episode coming up yes very excited are we gonna are we gonna give away who we're speaking to uh we're gonna save as a surprise oh i don't know i don't know oh it's too exciting maybe we keep it as a surprise all right, let's keep this a surprise, but it is amazing. I think we can give slight spoiler in that she wrote one of the five-star novels that we recommended in our last episode. Yes, she did. She is an incredible writer and a very lovely woman. But by a, Oh, I've given a book of a clue there. It's a woman uh, that we've uh, discussed before, but yeah, we're so excited. I can't wait to, to speak to her and... Oh, because she's got again another clue. We'll give some clues because you know, red. You know, we like to give crimey based clues. Solve the case. Uh, she has got a new book out um, that I'm really excited to talk to her about as well. So yeah, cannot wait. Um, but thank you all so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our our little Agatha Christie. We will be coming back to Agatha Christie again in the future because how can we not? Yeah, I loved this episode. Yep, so not, much I've fun. Obviously, not heard it yet, but I really enjoyed this yeah. theme into the book I read yeah absolutely we're gonna definitely come back to her there's so much we can talk about and look at in her body of work so we will be back but if you have any other ideas for themes or things you'd like us to talk about please do let us know you can email us at the uh, as I was say, how not to be an idiot podcast. That's not right. At the Red and Buried Podcast at gmail.com. Um, or you can uh, send us a message on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz, uh, Red and Buried Podcast. So tell us what you want us to talk about and we'll add it to our list. Yeah, we've got quite a few on the list so far. I've had a few suggestions. And... Oh, great. Yeah. We're doing all right. We're keeping going. It's good. Hmm. Lovely. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. Thank you very much. Still don't have a snappy sign-off, so I'll shut up. <laughs>
It's okay. We don't need a snappy sign-off. I just feel like I should have thought of a pun by now. We're great in ourselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank Back you very much. Off. Yeah, we're great. We will see you next month. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Elsewhere on We Made This. The Failed Critics Podcast. This Leatherface isn't isn't a young guy anymore. He's a big guy. He's an older guy. Like, just sprint a little bit up the road and shoot him. Like, he's got a big chainsaw as well, that if he's swinging it around, he's got to be careful with it or he's going to hurt himself. He isn't going to... He's not going to be quick. Literally, some of them have got guns at some point in this film. Just sprint 20, 20 yards up the road yeah. and shoot him. There's a number of um, of potholes in this where the hardest character has the opportunity to point blank in and just doesn't do it. And it's just like, yeah, you've gone all this way. You've waited fifty years to see him again, and you and you, yeah, you could literally just blow his head off. Yeah, he's not posing any threat to you whatsoever. Yeah. In fact, he's sat on his bed waiting for you to and do then, something, and then you have a little it. chat and with him. So, no, just blow him away. Free with this month's issue. Quite often, things that go fast is good, <laughs> but that's not because it, it doesn't go really fast. Yeah just goes faster yeah and also when you've been ominously stalking which is what that baseline does yeah ominous then going fast is not you know like jason voorhees doesn't run does he no <laughs> he doesn't need to he remains he ominous appears. the whole time yeah but that's what this song should have done he's not jason voorhees he's the t1000's brother and did the t1000 run not really yeah. Like, I mean, a bit, but not that a That bit lot. when he's fucking chasing after them in the car, he's definitely running. Maybe Quite that's famously. why he did it. You know what? <laughs> geek polymath. I don't think I'm a geek because I'm gay, but I think it fucking helped. <laughs> well, listen, so I have theories about this. <laughs> Good. Strap in for a conspiracy session. Please. Uh, it, it's all to do with... Uh, being uh, an outsider which of mm. course in uh, as, as fingers crossed as as society progresses and advances we will hopefully get to the stage where just sexuality will have nothing to do with you being an insider or an outsider but mm. it's massively a part of it uh, there's a reason russell t davis felt such a strong connection to doctor who yeah and I think those kind of outsider bubbles over overlap. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network.